Welcome to Voyage of the Geek. One day late, <laughs> thanks to uh, uh, the throes of death that I was in over the weekend. Well, I was going to ask you, how have you been? And I think that's a bit of a loaded question with a very predictable answer. Yeah, so I'm firing on, shall we say, three <laughs> cylinders today, but I was ready to... Um, stick a knife in it and, and uh, call it quits at one point. Um, <laughs> had a dodgy uh, dodgy vindaloo, shall we say, <laughs> in the form of a dodgy piece of pizza, I think it was, the other day. Um, and I was totally non-compass mentis for three days over the weekend. First weekend to myself that I had mm-hmm. and spent it um, violently ill, <laughs> wanting to die in bed. Um but I've, I've mer- uh, crawled my way out of the bedroom, um, and uh, and we're so we're only twenty four hours late. Awesome. This time, so how have you been, sir? Uh, I've been pretty good compared to uh, the state that you've been in. So yeah, yeah, uh, was busy really before, and now I've it's calmed back down to its normal relaxed kind of level. I did have a week week or so last week where. Every single day there was something going on, nine to five, and then five till nine afterwards. Yeah. Ah, day after day after day after day. It did about a week of that. So, And we're moving towards the silly season, the, mm. the Christmas silly season, mm. where it all ramps up again. Yeah, and it even all ramps up at work towards the end of the year. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, I've uh, I've missed my, uh, my duties, my mm. introduction duties. Mm. We are Voyage of the Geek, where we cover all things in the geekosphere that we come across in life and we we come to the ta- the table every week 7 p.m australian eastern standard time mondays um to share those things yep. uh, with one another um, from a very unique, unique uh, perspective um that we we tend to come across things uh dan miller myself dave scotland and uh we stream out on youtube live but we also uh the show's available on um iTunes, Stitcher, um, and many more platforms as we find them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, some new video platforms as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have a look at Twitch. Mm, yeah, get into that Twitch action. Yeah, uh, and also the date. We have to remember to tell to, to list the date. Ah, uh, that's right. Today's date being the twenty fifth of October, twenty sixteen. And uh, as I said, this is a Tuesday instead of a Monday, so we're a day late on our normal show. But mm. when you're the writers, directors, producers, executive producers of the show, <laughs> rank has its privileges. That's right. And if you're violently ill, that takes precedence, it okay. would appear. Absolutely. All right. So I want to kick, kick things off with um, some stuff that's been happening um, in the upcoming uh, under the heading of upcoming, mm. uh, where self-confessed Star Wars fans and, mm-hmm. and or, or maybe goes a little deeper than that, mm-hmm. uh, card-carrying <laughs> Star Wars fans, um, and of course there was a fantastic new, um, it was a fantastic new Rogue One trailer that released the other week. Mm-hmm. In fact, I might throw it up, but we'll play it back with sound down and um, and uh, and explore some of the things there because there's been some. Uh, been some developments in the last week or so in relation to the Star Wars franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney are sort of making it a habit of wheeling out their suits onto onto the stage in front of crowds of people, where they seem to present them with release schedules for 
um, or their Pixar movies or their um, Marvel movies, mm-hmm. all of their Star Wars movies. In fact, it's it's pretty impressive when they put up a big screen of all of those franchises together. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and if, there's also Disney movies as well. Disney have gone into reimagining all of their animated films mm. live. They're oh. gonna they're gonna make a Little Mermaid live, so okay. it's it's a live film. When I say live, I mean it's not cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's uh, action, real live action. Mm-hmm. Um, Beauty and the Beast they're making with um, yeah, Hermione from Harry Potter. Yeah, right. Um, there's there's quite a few actually. That um, I think Maleficent was the first one to sort of get the uh, okay. get the ball get rolling, the theme happening, and they've gone really hard for it. So their release schedule <laughs> is absolutely ridiculous. But I guess. It's more made more impressive by the fact that they own so many franchises now. They own so much that mm. if you, if we say Disney release, where we're really talking about a lot of things that they wouldn't have been able to release had they not bought these mm. properties recently. Mm. Um, so, just what do, what do we think about that in terms of um, you know Hollywood being dry of ideas, you know, yeah. um, and doing reboots and stuff? This is a bit of a disguised kind of a reboot. Repackage what you've already bought this time, yeah, without the animation. It's like they're not willing to, and nor uh, so far, nor do they really have to take risks, yeah, um, because it's guaranteed that they're going to make X amount. I think they've got it, they've probably got the boffins to work it out down to a million dollars. You know, they, they're, they're really good at this stuff now, mm. and um. It, what's uh, I definitely get where you're coming from because when you look at the release schedule for Pixar films, mm-hmm. Cars with a number on the end of it, um, Toy Story with a number on the end of it, yeah. they, they just keep looking back to their original properties. Mm. I think they're even talking about a um, um, what's the little robot one again? Wally, yeah, Wally Two. Okay. Uh, which would be an interesting film. I mean, mm. I'm I'm not not wanting to see some of these films, mm. um, and I guess that's I've got a lot to do with how well they've made these films to start with. That mm. we anything Pixar does is is impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Disney's playing it safe in in a lot of areas. There. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a bit. Um, I don't know. It's a bit disturbing. You. You. I think you want want those sort of people to be taking risks to constantly kind of be pushing the envelope rather than looking backwards all the time um i don't know maybe they think that they're doing that by not having the animation and going with live action mm. this is um this is playing at half speed that's oh, why okay. it's, a, it's a little bit a little bit stuttery um so, so what are the some of the things you've seen the trailer yeah no i have not oh, you seen, the seen the new now. one so i won't be able to play it for you otherwise um uncle youtube's going to get disappointed with me that's all right that's all right um but we can uh we can certainly play it um without sound and slow down here a little bit um some of the things that we found out of it uh found out out of, uh, found out about the story mm-hmm. found out about the film from this particular trailer is the storyline of the main character mm-hmm. um her father turns out to be um, a pivotal person in relation to the design of the Death Star. Yes. Okay. So take, I knew that. And taken away when when she's quite young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so that 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 to me reads as something that could be an interesting narrative thing to explore. That she's she's got to go after the plans, but in reality, is she going to go after the father and mm. try and rescue him? And mm. 
Um, so yeah, there's some some really interesting narrative things uh, that it's it's always good to see an Aussie uh, in a Star Wars film, especially when he's the one of the main bad guys, Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, right. Um, show me again. Skip back here. This guy uh-huh. here. Yeah, right. Um, been around for a long time in Australian film. He's easily one of our one of our better actors. Mm. Um, one of our better homegrown actors, and not so much. Um, it's hard to call people like Chris Hemsworth a homegrown actor because he really got his movie cred overseas. Overseas, yeah. yeah. He really, you know, as far as Australian cred, it was mm. home and away and mm. things like that. <laughs> um, he first broke onto the scene as Captain Kirk's father in the first Star Trek film mm. um, and died in the first ten minutes of the film. Oops, spoiler, better. So. Yeah, with the um, the architect of the Death Star, I think is a really cool angle because we're exploring more of the universe. Yep. We're not repeating the universe. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. I don't know. Mm. If they do Little Mermaid, should they yeah. go and explore some other part? They can do it in the same yeah. the same world. Anyway. I, I found out a bit of trivia through the <coughs> week. Um, mm. The Death Star is powered by the same crystals that they use inside the de- uh, lightsabers. Oh, okay. The, the Kyber crystals. Okay. That's what gives it its great power. Right. That's why it can blow a planet in half. Um, I found that out by reading an interesting article that came through Facebook on... I thought this was a fantastic shot. Some people think this is potentially Obi-Wan. Ah. Um, but something tells me there's not enough time in the timeline. Oh, I can bring that up, actually. I, I've got an image of that. So for um, the people that, on the podcast... Oh, that's a- right, yes. We're looking at a, <laughs> a, a massive... Um, thousand foot high statue of what looks like a Jedi uh, warrior lying down half buried in the sand in some desert scene. A bit Lord of the Ringsy. Yeah, very, actually. very, yeah. And big gigantic statues from bygone eras. Very old world. And it could <coughs> harken back to the old Republic time, mm. maybe. Um, mm. But yeah, the. Um, what, what was I saying? What was I saying? Lost my point. Um. Can't remember either. Oh yes, no. The um, the article I was reading is in relation to why is Sith lightsabers always red? Oh, okay. And so, the answer? Well, apparently, what happens is the the Jedi's when they're young, they go to a certain place, um, sacred place, and that's where the Kyber crystals are. And there's a connection. Okay. They find one another. Okay, cool. All right. And then the color of the lightsaber or the color of the crystal is because is due to the connection that they have with the Jedi. And that's why some are green, some are blue, um, and then one is purple. Okay, so if you go up there with a bad attitude, <laughs> yeah. you get... You, so well, no, you no, get, the, the red ones... You mean the red? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the red happens when the, because the Sith can't have... They can't find them. They can only steal them. Ah. And as soon as you steal a kyber crystal... They're secondhand. They don't, they don't have the connection, so they revert <laughs> back to their raw state, okay, which, okay. Is, which is red. So they can't find them? No. So It's it, a sacred <coughs> temple. It's the sacred Jedi temple that the children get taken to. Right. To get the... Um, there's an episode in... But if they did go there, they could probably get, the, get their hands on those lovely fresh green ones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The crisp, crisp, fresh, uh, <laughs> straight out of the fridge. There's straight a, picked from the from the the farm. The, yeah. Yeah. Fresh <laughs> off the farm. Um, there's a there's an episode of. I'm gonna say. 
not Rebels, not the f- not the three D animated series Star Wars Rebels, the mm-hmm. new the new one that Disney do, are doing that they're up to se- uh, series three mm-hmm. at the moment. The one that came before it, which was the, like the Clone Wars, yep. Um, and there was an episode right towards the very end where a bunch of younglings get taken to this place, and, mm-hmm. the, and the whole episode is based on their they have to go into this uh, labyrinth and and the the crystal calls to them and they get they pair up and but there was only four crystals and f- but there were five younglings or something like that <laughs> so you didn't the idea was to not miss out okay but yeah um that law all so the exists one that misses out yeah kills one of the other ones and ends up with a red <laughs> crystal <laughs> <laughs> probably probably um, the the theory falls over when Grievous is running around with blue and and green lightsabers in uh, yeah. in Tack of the Clones. So what happens there? Well, I love this this law stuff where okay. they call it law. Okay, like it, it existed before <coughs> all all things. Mm-hmm. Well, like Lucas, mm. you tend to make shit up. Um, <laughs> he's he's renowned for doing it. Um, someone will ask him in an interview. The connection between this character and this character is profound in the story. Well, yes, that's because, and he's making the shit up on, the, and then it, be, it gets written into law. Okay, but he's very good at sticking to law. Okay, and he's also very good at sort of joining the dots and making sure that the law doesn't cross over too often. Maybe the purple ones are third hand. The purple right. one's a result of Samuel L. Jackson getting his way on set. <laughs> like he, pretty, he quite literally turned around to Lucas and said, I want a purple one. And and how do you say no to Sam? I think that's an actual quote from the behind the scenes um, of Attack of the Clones is uh, whatever Sam wants, Sam gets. All right. So I reckon the way that it goes is you start with the green crystals for the good guys. Yeah. You hand them to the bad guys and they go red. Yeah. But then if one of the good guys gets it back again, mm-hmm. it goes purple. Sure, sure. It's almost like uh, Lucas said it himself. Um, so yes, there's some fantastic imagery in the new trailer. Definitely check it out if any if and if you haven't seen it. Um, some fan. Really excited about this film because the director of this film is one of us. Mm-hmm. He's a visual effects guy. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's the guy that did Godzilla. Mm. Uh, his first independent breakout sort of film. Helmed as a director was Monsters, which I still haven't seen yet, but okay. but it's got pretty good acclaim. Um, but he is a visual effects guy, he's a composite artist. I found him long before he was a director. He did a ten part training series uh, about all these tips and, and secrets that he used. He single handedly did the visual effects for a two part BBC documentary on Attila the Hun. Yeah, right. Including battle scenes with waves of people going across a field attacking one another Uh Um, there were camp scenes with hundreds and hundreds of warriors with tents and and campfires and everything he did the whole thing in 3D Studio Max and After Effects Hmm, that's crazy I've got to show you this 10 part series man it's it's addictive to watch and he's one of these guys what I loved about him uh, and and his training method is he teaches you and this is how I know that he's going to be a wonderful director he, there was this one shot that he was he was teaching a bit of tracking of this castle or this uh, fort on a hillside. And the fort was CG, but the footage in the hillside was all real. Mm-hmm. So he needed to put, and it was a moving camera. Mm-hmm. And all of these horsemen, a uh, group of about 30 or 40 horsemen, ride up and the camera pans as they ride to reveal the castle on the hill. And he... He tracked it, he put a little bit of atmospherics in there, and he said, okay, now I'm going to move to what's more important. And 
And he said, y- if, if you'll notice how little time I spent on that, that's because the story is about Attila the Hun and he just rode up with 40 warriors. People aren't going to be looking at the flags that aren't blowing on the castle, mm-hmm. which is way off two miles away. Yep. The story's here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I have to pick my battles. Yeah, yeah. That's how you know this guy is a visual storyteller and mm. more than just a visual effects artist. Mm. Very talented guy. Gareth Edwards. It sounds vaguely familiar. It sounds vaguely familiar. There's a couple of people that sort of did these one-man film yeah. film armies. There was another one, uh, and I've got now no idea how to explain it, but um, it was in South America and um, some alien landing thing going on. That anyway, might be him. Monsters. Well, it, Oh yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, yeah, maybe it is. It's his. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. And when you talk, to deja talk, vu. The circle has yeah, now yeah. closed. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but it's all about some kind of landing, some kind of alien thing, and they have to go in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did it all himself. Just an actor, he took a couple of actors, and his cam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it off the back of that, where he's really cheeky is, he asked to do Godzilla. They said no, oh, right. so he said to he, he got together with some people and made a trailer and took it to Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. And it blew the roof off the place. It's, yeah. And the trailer was made of that shot with the guys jumping out of the back of the C-130. Mm. Uh, is it C-130, the mm. transporter? No idea. Well, they jump out the back, they've got the red smoke trailing from, okay. yeah, coming yeah, yeah. down through the clouds. And then there's this one fleeting glance of this of the side of Godzilla <laughs> through the, through the uh, clouds as they're going down. Uh-huh. And then you hear this big roar. Godzilla. That's it. Uh-huh. And it was enough for him to actually secure the rights to do the film. Mm. Cheeky. But I that's think District 9 might have been similar like that. They made a very yes. short, s- sort of l- very low-budget film and yeah. I think a trailer that was a little bit more high-budget that... Um, was it Was it Peter Jackson or Spielberg that that, pro- that said, here's your money, here's 40 million, yeah, go I make said it. There's some story, there's some there's a story connection like there. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Bloomkampf. The director that did it, yeah, right. He what? did. Uh, he did the one with the ring in the sky with the what's that? Um, where all the rich people live up in space on this uh, uh-huh. habitat ring thing. Yeah, They've got yeah. a cure for everything, mm-hmm. and they live forever. But Elysium? all of the poor people are down here. Not that Elysium. was his sec. Yes, Elysium. Yeah, that yeah. was his second film. Yeah, very stylistically similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He has a style. He did um, Chappie. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Same yeah, guy. you can see the same thing. Same style. And in fact, they same same South African guy from um, <clears throat> from District Nine, the main the main guy. He's Chappie. Plus, they the had. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen Chappie, oh, okay. but they have in it the Antwerp. Yes, you know, Die right? Antwerp. Die yeah. Antwerp. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those guys are friggin' crazy. Have you seen some of their video clips? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen some of their sh- <laughs> just shenanigans in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking with. Um, don't don't ever breach the stage. You know, you you take your life in your own hands with those guys. Um, I I don't know. I just love their their characters. That they've got they've got these these South African bogans. That, yeah. That these sort of suburban bogans is their character. Um, anyway, I was talking about it with some South African friends and. Yeah, uh, it's pretty funny. It's a yeah. pretty pretty good joke that they um, the movie the movie's pretty. It's a, it's a touching tale, <clears throat> Chappy. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very touching tale. It's um because those guys do that that the ant work. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do a lot of video clips and they're acting in all all of yeah. their video clips. So oh well, f- you, you don't for a second get the <coughs> feeling that they're not actors. Yeah, yeah. Not in Chappy. That's right. Yeah. And the guy that plays. Um, uh, Vickis 
mm-hmm. in the District Nine, mm-hmm. he's Chappie in, oh, a, in a suit. Oh, right. Yeah, wow. He oh, does. That's cool. And so they're acting to to him. Yeah. Okay. And he's a very powerful actor. He's yeah. a very very good actor. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, good good mates with um with the director. So this is the timeline of Rogue One. I found this image today, which I thought was interesting. So that it takes place in between, obviously, Episode Three and Episode Four. But I would hazard a guess that it takes place very close to Episode Four, mm. because the um, the many boffin spies that died to bring. Oh no, that's uh, that's Jedi, isn't it? That's the second lot of plans. Yeah. It is too. It is too. It's the second lot of plans where she says many boffin spies died to bring us this yeah, information. Yeah, that is in Jedi. Yes, that's the second. Must be yeah. the second lot of plans because clearly they they would have bought it up. The exhaust port. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The nails. So we, ne- we needed more plans. Over it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what I found really interesting is, um, and and definitely, I don't want to go back to the trailer, but there's a scene in the trailer where um, Ben Mendelsohn's character walks up to the old boy while the the little girl's hiding in the bushes. Mm. He gets taken away, obviously. When does that happen? Because there's a scene in the Clone Wars where the um, you know the bug-looking, what are they called? The guys with the wings. The yeah, they, yeah. At one point, they handed over to Dooku mm-hmm. the plans for the Death Star. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it makes you wonder where where that scene happened. If it's a flashback by her mm-hmm. to her, where in the timeline did that happen? Mm-hmm. Did it happen during the Clone Wars? When did they start building the Death Star and this sort of stuff? So I hope that's resolved in the film. Uh, but yeah, that's the timeline there. Um, this is actually this is probably a little bit more impressive. This is that uh, one of those scenarios where I was what I was talking about with these higher ups standing right. on a stage declaring the release um, the release schedules. You can see Force Awakens there, twenty fifteen. Yep. Um, Rogue One happening twenty sixteen. Twenty seventeen, we will see um, Star Wars Episode Eight, and uh, then. Uh, 2018 is the first spin-off um, uh, of the not spin-off the first spin-off is this year Rogue One it's an anthology one right first one is Han Solo okay so it's the Han Solo story alright okay. they've already um, they've already cast young Han Solo let me show you what he looks like in fact Google should I should be able to put young and solo now, and Google should really know. There he is. So that is the guy playing young Han Solo. There is a shot. Who's Let's that? See if I can find him. He's um he's a young actor. I've seen him in a couple of things. I can't can't remember his name actually. Where is it? Uh, Elden uh, Ehrenreich. Okay. Yep. Um. Okay. I've seen him in a couple of things. I saw him in this. He was really good in this. It's an, it was a um, it's the it's a recent film. Hail Caesar. <laughs> yep. With uh, George Clooney. George Clooney. Yeah, yeah. And he plays a young um, a young cowboy stuntman that gets thrust in front of the camera when they keep running out of actors. And it's okay. It's the comedy is about this political behind mm-hmm. the cameras stuff that's going on with actors and things like that. But anyway, he is um, he's the new Han Solo, and you can see here, it's not a bad choice. And I've heard, seen him act. I've seen his mannerisms. Okay. I think he's going to pull it off. I think there's a video where he actually tries. To, I think he. He does Harrison Ford, 
and it's all there. Mm. Yeah, apparently, it's a very good casting. They've recently, as as much as a week ago, announced young Lando, <laughs> which is this guy. <laughs> cool. Okay. And what's what's really funny about this guy is his class photo from his yearbook. Yeah, Star Wars T-shirt. Oh, um, he's a very popular guy. He's the guy from um, Community, the the sitcom Community about a community college. Mm. Um, but he's also a rapper and uh, is a very good actor. Very good. His comedy time is brilliant, which means he's probably going to be a very good dramatic actor as well. Yeah, yeah. As we I'm hoping he brings a better performance than Billy D. Williams. Mm. Uh, apparently, one of the worst actors when it comes to remembering their lines. <laughs> like he would have four words to say, yeah. and he'd be like, "Yeah, line." <laughs> he just couldn't couldn't remember. He could never ever remember his lines. And when I think it got so bad that. When he was flying the Millennium Falcon in Jedi, he ha- because when you're flying, you've got the cockpit here in front of you, and okay. you've got to look out there, and then you've got to look down here. Yeah, right. He got away with it all written on the cockpit. Right. He's got a teleprompter or something. Yeah, he's <coughs> his four-word lines were there. So yeah, they've been cast for the uh, for the next one, the next spin-off, which is uh, 2018. So that's the pair of them in that film. Yes. Okay, that could be cool. Yeah, I believe so. Then. 2019, we see trading uh, the Millennium Falcon and betting on it. Yeah, yeah, whatever, probably. Yeah, yeah, like that. probably. It'd be, uh, be a pretty cool angle. And and the <clears throat> some conjecture is: Are they going to rely on those embedded lines from the original films mm. as the storyline? Some people think that that's probably not the best way to go. Mm. Like a story based around the Kessel Run. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They did in 12 no, parsecs that. or some shit. No, no, Or, do or that. that, that he takes the Millennium Falcon off him um, yeah. as the main story. No, thing. no, no, don't do that. Don't oh, do yeah. that. No, invent something new. Yeah. Invent something new. That's too similar to... Because um, those things were always just throwaway yeah, lines. Yeah, absolutely. Just to fill in a bit of space. It's like yeah. those um, time travel ones where you're spending all this uh, valuable exposition instead of on narrative, it's on... Oh, toasters, you're still using toasters, are mm. you? You know, it's like, fuck, who cares about what they're toasting bread with? Or Red Letter Media, who's just really super insightful about this, has two things to say. One is about lightsabers, mm. and their sort of opinion was, freaking lightsabers, they're just, they should be just like laser swords, and you don't have to worship them, you don't have to have them in every movie, they're yeah. cool and stuff, but yeah. they don't have to, the world doesn't have to revolve around them. Yeah. <clears throat> and the same one was with Darth Vader, where their opinion was that Darth Vader isn't the pivot of all of these stories, is not Darth Vader, that's mm. not where it's the, it's pivoting on. Yeah. He's just a thug. Yeah. He's just a thug that the Empire hires, mm. and he should be kind of left as just that big thug dude in those yeah. movies. You can kind of reference him now yeah. again, but he doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all of yeah. what's going on. I, I saw a headline. I didn't <coughs> read the article, um, but the headline said, um, when are we going to see Darth Vader as a bad guy again? Mm. You know, Yeah, yeah. Because he's, he's not. You know, he's complexed and all this shit now. No, he started out as being a bad guy. He was a thug, as you say. And even in Star Wars, I mean, the reason why... He's black and he throws people against walls and he blows up planets. It's because he is the fucking bad yeah, yeah. guy and it's easy to tell. And that's the kind of the beauty of it. Yeah, he was unhinged. <clears throat> um, you never knew what he was going to do. And it's just simple and straightforward and it's obvious. And it's like, he's the bad guy, right? Let's move on. Yeah. You know, we got that worked out. Too many layers to your bad guy. Mm. 
is problematic. Yeah, yeah. It's problematic because I don't want to care about him. Yeah, right? that's right. He I want to appreciate his position, mm. right? Because bad guys don't try to be bad. Mm. In their world, they're doing good. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But I don't need all the layers and the family connections and family trees <laughs> and trade federation <laughs> bullshit. So, yeah, this is pretty much the, um, <laughs> the graphic, albeit primitive, uh, thanks to whoever it was that provided it on the interwebs so yeah every other year we see a release um, okay. in fact so they got released then they got the spin-off thing and they got these rele- years are out the- these years are out of whack by one so that's probably not what 17 18 19 yeah that's probably not accurate hang on a second 19 episode 15, 9 oh no no that's right yeah yeah so so the, only, <coughs> the last thing I'll say about the Star Wars releases and the upcoming releases for Star Wars is um, my concern. I've got some concern. Uh, the next Star Wars main trilogy film, mm-hmm. Episode Eight, mm-hmm. that started principal photography uh, about a week after the release of uh, Episode Seven, mm-hmm. um, is going to be pre- directed by. It was written and directed by this guy, which I believe that's Ryan Johnson. Okay. Um, R-I-A-N Yeah I thought it was Rian It might be I don't know I think it's Ryan Right And when I first heard his name I thought Who's this guy I've never heard of this guy before And so I checked his lineage I checked what he's done Mm -hmm. And you're not mistaken um, That's all He's directed And the first three of those Are short films um, Albeit um, Maybe they had budgets Maybe they had decent actors I don't know But they their short films back in 2002, 2001, okay. 96. Um, his first major one that I can even recognise there is Looper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I vaguely with, remember Looper. With Bruce Willis and um, Gordon Gordon Levitt, the young guy that used to be the kid in Third Rock from the Sun. Mm. He was in the last Batman film as the cop. I think he goes on to become Batman right at the very end. He finds the Batcave credits roll. Um like I said, I can vaguely remember Looper. He did a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. He wrote, I think if we come down to writer, you'll find that he has written episode eight and episode nine. Okay. And I'm pretty sure he's directing episode nine as well. Okay. So that, how big a risk is this multi-billion <laughs> dollar conglomerate backing this guy to carry this franchise through? To write and direct. Wow. That is, uh, this is, this worries me a bit. This absolutely worries me a bit, and and because, you know, it's it's uh, it's sacred. It's sacred stuff. Yeah, um, I suppose the balance to that is that, um, you know, we try and get um, some new fresh blood, and yeah. you know, try to move away from. This is the thing we were complaining about before. Yeah, the same old, same old, where you rinse and repeat the same stuff, and maybe getting some new. New fresh craziness in there, yeah. Like I say, it's a bit of a risk, but it could pay maybe off. It, maybe it pays off. Yeah, it could pay off. Um, <coughs> he's, um, I mean, between you and me, Looper didn't cut it for me. I didn't. I can't remember I it. D- I so. didn't get into it. I didn't like yeah. it. Although it's almost impossible to create a good film with Bruce Willis nowadays. He's just a crazy man. He's one of these actors that walks around thinking that he is. The per- people that he plays, oh, right. like he's, he plays a badass. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's not a badass. 
I'm pretty sure, <laughs> like when you're when you're abseiling off the sides of buildings and yeah, yeah. you know diving off the wings of uh, hovering jets and things like that, that's green screen shit, right? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's not real. Pretty sure. And but yet he acts like that when he's interviewed, and I, Kevin Smith tells some pretty funny stories. Oh, about okay. It. Um, so yeah, the looper didn't work for me, and one of the problems I had with it was him, mm-hmm. and the fact that the young version of him, this this. Um, show you a picture of him you'll know him as soon as i show you an image of him this guy over here mm-hmm. um they stuck a big bruce willis nose on him jo- uh, joseph gordon levitt this guy oh uh, yeah, yeah he was yeah. in uh yeah. he was in inception he's actually been quite a few um christopher nolan films christopher nolan likes to use him quite a bit mm-hmm. he did inception mm-hmm. the batman one i'm talking mm-hmm. about he played a young Bruce Willis mm-hmm. in Looper mm-hmm. because Looper's all about time and travel mm-hmm. and shit yeah. like that, right? But they stuck this big weird nose on him uh-huh. all the way through the film. And when you do a bad prosthetic, that's all you can see. That's all you can see. There's no narrative anymore. I've got Bruce Willis to look at and this idiot with the big big prosthetic. Yeah. Anyway, that's the ah, the the last thing that I'll mention, and it's mm. totally unconfirmed, is there is an untitled anthology film to follow um, in 2021, I think it is, or 2020. And that's the one that's unconfirmed as a title. Now, it could be an Obi-Wan story. Maybe before he became a, a, a Padwan. Or the time in between where he dropped Luke off and he became an old man. But apparently Ewan McGregor's keen. He's he's interested in helping write it and all sorts of stuff. There's just weird releases are based around Ewan McGregor. Um, that there seems to be something going on there. And Ewan McGregor's voice was used in the flashback, in that dream sequence thing from Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. They used Ewan McGregor's mm-hmm. voice in there. Mm. Um, so they, I think there's a connection with Ewan McGregor and Ray. Okay. I thought he did a pretty good job, despite the movie sort of sucking and surrounding him. You know, the He was movie the only thing that held him. it up. He the did the original trilogy. I thought it was very believable as the yeah. young... Without um, Ewan McGregor... Yeah, yeah. How bad would they have been? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes. Or it could be a Yoda film. Ah, uh, no. A Boba Fett film. The, the, no, 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 no. The big money's on no, Boba Fett. No, no, no. None of them. It's, none of them. Boba Fett's already had his thing. So has Obi-Wan. They've already had the thing. If they're going to pull out Lando and dust yeah, yeah, off yeah. Lando, it's got to be Princess Leia. It could be. It could be. Princess Leia hasn't got her... She's been in the law since day one. And she hasn't got her background in Luke mm. you know and all of those those guys maybe not Luke so much well yeah Luke in the new ones I suppose I'll um <coughs> I'll lend you my copy my graphic novel of the original there's an original graphic novel that's been created I think it was created recently mm. it's beautiful artwork but it's it's a graphic novel of the original script oh right where it's General Skywalker and okay. uh, and and um Chewbacca was this big sort of lizardy looking <laughs> thing and um, yeah cool um, and it tells idea. the story t- very differently, mm. but it's uh, so many of the elements are there. Mm. You can see where the decisions have been sort of slightly bent and things like that, but all the story is there. Um, and she's all the way through it. Like yeah. the, the layer story has always been there in the, in yeah. the lore. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably it for me. One last thing before we leave. Are you aware that Red Letter Media has done a new Star Wars review kind of of um, 
sort of of Rogue One and The Force Awakens. Oh, have they? Yeah, they have. Red um, Letter Media, for those that aren't aware, you, you, you can best describe them. Uh, Red Letter Media, uh, a film review crowd, you know, a bit like what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, they've got just a bit more oomph bef- behind them. They actually have a set and they, they put in a lot of effort into their stuff. Yeah, this is it. Um, and, the, yeah, so they're... They did um, probably <laughs> 237,956,856 things you missed in the in the Rogue One trailer. So they're all obviously having a bit of a piss take about those five incredible things, you know, stupid videos. These are the guys that do um, like commentaries and things like that with a, after having copious amounts of alcohol. They did a definitive breakdown of The Phantom Menace, which yes, has just got like millions upon millions of views. I don't know how many it is, but it's like impressive millions of views. Mm. Um, and then they did the other the other ones as well. And it's just so um, spot on. They're mm. just so accurate um, with their observations yeah. and, w- and what they say. It's it's really, really good. Um, it's, very, so, yeah. it's very entertaining. Um, all of their videos are very entertaining. But yeah, you, there you're is right. There, the Star Wars... The Force Awakens, Awakens review. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Mr. Plinkett. Yeah, yeah. So they have a at least one of their characters that they uh, that they roll out to do these reviews and things like that. And once you get past the comedy, they're actually bang on the money. They're, it's a it's a characterised yeah, review. Yeah. Um, these are guys that you were telling me that when you look at any of the original the original trilogy four, five, and six. Hmm and compare them to 1, 2, and 3, mm. you can pick any character in 4, 5, and 6, and you can describe their character. That's one of the most insightful things. They've got yeah. loads of them. There's more of them on there, yeah. but one of the most insightful things... But you can't things, do that about any of the no. characters from the first one. And they did the experiment. They went and interviewed people, yeah. and they said, you know, um, describe C-3PO's character. Mm. Not what he does, not his yeah. job, not what yeah. he looks like. He's... Character. He's nervous. He's fearful. Um, he's uh, stuck up. Yeah. Um, Over polite. Prissy is yes. another one that comes up. Yeah. And you can do that really obviously for C three PO, for R two D two, for Han Solo. All of those guys stick out like a sore thumb. They've all got these spikes of obviousness in their character. Yeah. But if you go and ask that about Obi Wan, you know what is it that Obi Wan does? Yeah. And and they interview people and they're like. Which one was Obi Wan again? Yeah, you know, and it's like you know he's the you know mm. or, or Qui Gon Jinn. I think that's what they yeah, said. Qui-Gon. Yeah, which one was he? Obi Wan's a hard one because people can remember <clears> the hit <throat> some of his traits from the original prequel and, mm. and bring them in, mm. and mm. you can't do that because he wasn't the wise old man. He wasn't the patient, you know, that spoke only enough that you needed to hear and all that. Sort yeah, of stuff. yeah. Um, he was totally different, yeah. and, and people can't describe his character. They say he's. Stern, you know, was the one thing, the, the, the best thing they could come up with. Stern, yeah. Princess Amidala is exactly the same. She's yeah. just this, yeah, feisty robot. Yeah, she's yeah. just like immovable. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, doesn't confident, confident, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that was quite accurate and profound. So yeah, definitely check out Red Letter, Red Letter Media. Their videos are very entertaining, mm. um, and they drink way more than we do. Mm. So I'll hand it over to you, sir, because you have been looking into some technical uh, technical stuff, and I will try to uh, drive some graphics to accompany your... All right. So, as we do on this show, we're kind of just really reporting on some of the things that we've been 
getting into and having a look at and interested by. <clears throat> and so we were doing, um, you know, drone racing and um, other robotic-y type things. And so one of the things that I've been looking at recently is quantum computers. Quantum computing and quantum computers. So I've been, I've been having a bit of a look into it. And so I wanted to, I don't know, bring a few things that I thought were pretty interesting about them onto the show and have a bit of a chat mm-hmm. with you about it. Um, I suppose what I wanted to do is start at the end and have a look at actual quantum computers because they do exist now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of jump back in time this was my plan jump back in time and just sort of try to understand how they work because yep. there's some there's some freakiness that goes on to make them work all right uh so yeah i wanted to jump back in time and then kind of just so to try and understand a couple of principles that that underlie you know the the mechanics of how they work mm-hmm. so yeah throw up um quantum computer in fact if you just change the search so we're looking at, at something right at the moment but change the yeah search you want to type in d-wave quantum computer just add d-wave to the search or one word uh d no it's or d dash wave mm-hmm. uh that'll do yep. yeah that'll is do. that this, this is this is the thing yep, yeah yep, this yep. is good enough so if you're at home, you so we're know, looking at something the size of the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, now this is how I was going to explain it exactly. <laughs> it looks like the TARDIS. <laughs> it's even the same colour, and you know some nerds painted that blue deliberately. <laughs> oh, if some nerd has it, we have to actually remember that. Try to remember that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you're at home, um, what we're looking at is a D-wave quantum computer, which is the 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 D-wave is this group of people who are making quantum computers and they make them and then they give them to people or sell them to people I assume um, so that they can test them and start working out um, what the hell can we do with this thing now that we've invented it type uh-huh. of stuff so what I first wanted to do is to explain what it looks like yeah it looks like a giant big blue TARDIS yeah. it looks like a freaking TARDIS yeah um, so it's this giant big blue box about the size of four or five or six or seven fridges um, and then it's got some other stuff attached on the outside. So that other stuff is some sort of powery connection filled with wire stuff. Mm-hmm. The actual action happens inside the big blue box, inside the TARDIS, yeah. which is kind of apt, actually, for the what we're about to be talking about. The, 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 the inside um, does way more than it looks like on the outside, which is the TARDIS. Which is the TARDIS. That's right. Um, I love the way they've got the glowing, like there's there's a marketing spin <laughs> yeah, to yeah. the device as well. Yeah, so it's got these big neon D-wave, you know, sort of <laughs> things on the side of it. Um, so why is the box so big is the first question that we need to puzzle upon and solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we've got some shots of people marching up and down. This is at Google or somewhere or other or Boeing or yep. or something or other. They're, they're, they're installing these machines and they're getting their uh, computer boffins to start uh, monkeying yes. with them, right? Yes. There's a uh, there's one image here. Google's quantum upgrade. Yeah, Google's. Now this is going to be kind of important later on because Google's one of the big um, big backers. Well, yeah, but they're also going to be one of the the people that are going to use quantum yep. quantum computers quite yep. a lot. Um, so why is it such a big box? Mm. It's such a big box because like the TARDIS, you have to fit things inside. Yep. But what do you actually have to fit inside that big box is four physicists. <laughs> <laughs> 
large, large physicists, small physicists. Yeah, yeah. Four large physicists actually have to fit in there. This, this, this is not a. This looks like somebody has somebody's just built a home off. PC yeah, yeah, home to PC. look like it. Yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. Your own PC with D Wave. That's on pretty the side cool. Of it. Yep. So if you go back to those pictures and see if we can get an insight of what's inside this crazy box. Um, um, let me just throw this back up here. We'll see if we can find something. Um, I think it's this. I think it's this big brass-looking array. Yeah. Um, let's see if we can find one. And it is this. Uh, I think this is inside it. There's one up there. Uh, th- uh, that one is probably the better picture. This one? Down one from that that guy. Okay. It looks like there's a lot of space. That's right. There has to be room for four physicists to stand around inside there. Oh, and, really? Yeah, yeah, literally, and scratch their chin. Because this is uh, this is a prototype, right? Okay. Um, so they have to go in there and they have to monkey with it and get out their spanners and whatever they do, yeah. right? Their screwdrivers, and they have to do that stuff. <laughs> so that's why it actually has to be that big. <laughs> Something very Wizard of Oz about that. <laughs> yeah, there is. That's Build right. a box, but make it big enough because we've got to put humans uh, in yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. Just scratching their heads. This We're making really, a computer. Yeah, yeah, really? Or is it just a bunch of physicists who are like... <laughs> yes. What is the sum total? <laughs> Of four, four. I can I can hear four people in there with iPads. <laughs> so for those of you at home, inside our D-Wave quantum computer, it looks like there's this kind of um, cyberpunk, uh, steampunk um, stalactite yes. that's hanging from the ceiling, and yes. it's just this this kind of multi-platform. Multi-platform. Looks like a tiered. Uh, it looks like a brass tiered. Um, wedding cake upside down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got wires and stuff on it, and it's got layers, and then it, it, it sort of protrudes down into the center of this space inside the box. Now, if you have a look up here and some of the other pictures, mm-hmm. that's the very end of that towery at thing. The, at the tip, at the bottom. Right yeah. at the very tip. Yep. And there, you'll see there's a, a big solid brass looking box thing. Yeah. And inside that is your quantum computer. And when we're, when we're saying computer, are we saying the computer is a CPU? So is that we're the saying CPU? the chip. Okay, the, the CPU, chip. the chip. And we're talking how many magnitudes faster than what's sitting in these laptops right now? Okay, so we've just kind of discussed what it is and kind of what it looks like mm-hmm. and kind of what what's going on here. So yes, now here's my next question. Rather than me answer that. Can you answer that question? Absolutely not. Like quantum, what is? Uh, so what I suppose I'm saying is, can I get a, an impression of what's your what's your impression of a um, a quantum computer? Quantum, what does it mean? What's it all about? Quantum, to me, uh, without ever looking into the definition of that word, um, means huge leap, like a like massive amount. Okay, that's quantum to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that falls apart when you talk about quantum physics because we're not talking about massive amount physics. Yeah. So yeah. the 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 dictionary definition, um, I've never looked up. Okay. Do you want me to? No, 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 it's fine. I, I'm just curious as to what you might have, what impression you might have, what vibe through osmosis you might have picked up it, on what, what's it's this all about. It's almost like, right? it's almost like a word you use for the unreachable, you know. It's okay. like the thing that's over there that we're not likely to get to soon. Okay. Like quantum leap. Like a quantum leap. <laughs> right, okay. Um, but, of course, that's not, what the, that's not what the quantum is referring to in the quantum computers. Okay, okay. Not a distance. Right. In that sense. It's referring to quantum mechanics is what it's referring to. So, define quantum for me as it relates to quantum mechanics. Because well, I've heard that term a lot without really questioning it. Okay, so quantum is just like quantity. 
Oh, okay. Okay, so, and quantum really means a quantity of one, I suppose, is really what it, it's, it's a unit or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, yeah, so really what it's talking about is quantum mechanics, which is the, um, what it's referring to is quantum mechanics, which is the behavior of our atoms, mm-hmm. how atom, atoms behave. Here's the... Uh Here's a dictionary meaning. Physics-wise, it's a discrete quantity of energy proportional in magnitude to the frequency of the radiation it represents. You see, that makes it so much easier now. <laughs> yes, it makes it so much. But what it says here, discrete quantity, yep. that's what quantum means. It's one. Yep. And what it's saying actually is that um, the energy is quantized. Mm-hmm. It's not a... Um, it comes in little tiny packets is mm-hmm. really what it's saying. It's little blips, blip, yep. blips. That's what it's saying. Yeah. As opposed to some sort of stream of energy, like a lightning bolt or something. I don't know what it what, what, but There's another meaning there which is not related to physics, is a required or allowed amount, especially in a, an amount of money legally payable in damages. The court, and the example is, the court must determine the quantum of compensation due. So it's kind of referring to the same so sort of thing. It's a quantity. It's a quantity. quantum. Quantity. Cool. Okay. So, um, so there you have it, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so what is when we're talking about quantum computers? Mm. Are we talking about the size of the the bits, the bits inside? No, the bits, as in okay, bits, um, like bits. No, we're not talking about the size of the bits. Okay. However, we do need to talk about the size of the bits. Okay. <laughs> Right now... Bits, not the pieces. The bits, not the pieces. Yes. We'll talk about the pieces later. Let's just keep this simple, right? <laughs> All right, so the the, um, the, the a chip is made up of um, resistors, mm-hmm. or made up of little switches, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. And when you knit a whole bunch of those switches together, maybe 10 or 15, you can, because they're logic gates and or, you yeah. know, 100110. Yeah, on, on, off. On, off, on, yeah. off, right? You can knit a whole bunch of those together and you get yourself an adding machine. Yeah. Okay, so you put in two, two values at the top, and what comes out the bottom is the sum of those two values. Yeah, because yeah. a computer will all, will always ever be only to be able to do seven things: add, subtract, multiply, divide, greater than, less than, and equal to. Yeah, they're a calculator. <clears throat> yeah, programming yeah. is what, how we get them to do what we perceive them to do, but really all they're doing is evaluating using the mathematical equations of a calculator. And as we were talking about with the Foonley F1, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, which was a 11 um, kilohertz or uh, no, 11 megahertz. Yeah, which we could physically which, hear. Which we could hear. Yeah. That's its frequency. That's how fast it's doing each of those little calculations, calculations right? And so a PC today is up in the gigahertz mm. range, so it's just like way off the scale compared yeah. to the 1980s computer. Average home computer is around 3.5 to 4.5, something like that, gigahertz. Yeah. Processor. Now, the next thing is that those little switches inside the chips, inside your computers, Mm -hmm. are now pretty damn small. Yeah. They're very, very small. Well, they're pretty damn small and they also get pretty damn hot. They get pretty damn hot. Yeah, that's right. Because we're trying to force more and more electricity into the smaller space, it's I suppose. More, 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 and the more, and they're going faster and yeah. faster and faster, right? Um, but those switches are so small; they're smaller than like cells. Oh, really? They're they're and they're smaller than like a bacteria. Mm-hmm. They're made out of molecules. All right. What in this or in the home PC? No, regularly in your, yeah, yeah, your yeah. PC. Cool. That's how they cram so much mm. stuff onto a chip. Yeah. And the way that they do that is they do that with um, 
light etching. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. So they, they draw a picture of a circuit board, mm. you know, with textures. Yeah, yeah. And then they put that in front of a projector. Yeah. And then they focus the projector mm. down, 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 down. Yeah. And then they just burn the shit out of something. Yeah. And that's your little in the circuit. Pa- in the pattern of that design. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. your circuit. And that's how they make them so small. Cool. But they're starting to get down to, well, they're now down to kind of molecule size. Yeah. Right? And cells are like made out of molecules. Mm. Right? So they're kind of reaching the limit. It doesn't get much smaller than that. All right. So this is a quantum uh, computer uh, chip over here. Mm -hmm. And so here's kind of some of the the things about it is that the quantum computer is not going to be faster than what you've already got sitting on your table right now mm-hmm. alright it doesn't make it faster it does more of the fast things yes at the same time well done yeah. it does more of the fast things yeah. so if you take a classical computer take it no, let's change it to an analogy take a classical car mm. classical car drives up and down the road yeah. has an air conditioner and all of that sort of business yeah, but, but you can only fit four people yeah, in four there four people yeah, yeah but a quantum car would drive up and down the road it still yeah. has an air conditioner and a radio yeah. but you can fit 16 people at inside the same, at the same top speed at the same time yeah and it's the same speed mm. um, so what we're looking at here there's the chip yeah. and the chip is inside that little box which dangles at the bottom of the uh, upside down brass christmas prop yeah christmas, uh, yeah cool now the ro- the reason for all of that shenanigans is that inside that little box there it's like zero degree well not zero it's like one degree kelvin okay it's like super cold super cold yeah yeah which is very important to uh to quantum computing that's right it is it's critical in yeah. fact it won't work unless it is like that yeah all right yeah now that box that surrounds it, not only does it is it a nice little house where physicists it's can a fridge. go, and they could go in there and have a smoke or something <laughs> or other when nobody's watching. Yeah, um, it's also shielding okay um, from um, electromagnetic fields. Yeah. End result is at the end of that prong with all of those wires and all of that stuff down there. Some of those wires are there to control the the chip, mm-hmm. but other ones are there um, to control the. Um, the environment mm-hmm. all right so it has to have no electrical fields hassling it and no um temperature it mm-hmm. has to have zero temperature and then you've got yourself a chip so these exist right now um these are not super big so these are like tests test chips and um, they don't really do anything all you can do is try and work out how, how to use them i, I yep. gather is, is is what the deal is yep all right so so we could we could use this for mapping DNA, mapping genome type stuff. That's right. Like, now, like big packets of data that need calculating. Yes. Um, that it's the same. It's calculating at the same speed, but because there's such a big volume of things that need to be calculated, that's where this comes in handy. So yes, if you had a classical computer and you got a, th- a thousand thousand chips by a thousand chips and somehow stuck them on a board, yep. you'd kind of had the same thing as what a quantum computer can do, but it can do it with one chip. Yep. So what can you do with your quantum computer? Nobody quite knows just yet. Well, you it- could you could search every document on the interweb. You? That's right. You can Hello, search Google. <laughs> that's right. That's why Google's got them. Yeah. Did you know about this before, or no, are you well, just riffing on the? Oh, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. A little bit. Uh, and I know that um, 
I know about super cooling um, okay. and how and how to and and that it's like subatomic um, involvement. There's subatomic involvement yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Quantum um, particles, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I read somewhere once that um, there is an anti gravity component to some of the early experiments that they did with the supercooling stuff that there was an old old professor smoking a pipe in, the, in this super cooled room which yeah. is probably just fable <laughs> yeah but they found that um, the smoke because smoke is inert like okay, um, yeah. it's not like it, it's supposed if you blow out cigarette smoke mm-hmm. it just hangs in the air mm-hmm. it doesn't raise up oh, okay right? yeah yeah it doesn't it just neutrally buoyant just or neutrally buoyant yeah, yeah but as it floated over the super cooled ah, right. components it was raising up mm-hmm. and it and it started it prompted discussions about anti gravity and those sorts of things but this was about fifteen years ago and it never went anywhere there's certainly some bizarre stuff that happens with magnets and things mm-hmm. I n- and also know that there is we're we're very close to running into a major problem when it comes to the components of computers because of the heat thing when you get it to do things at a certain speed and i guess this that's where this is sort of um going to help us out because the speed is not that important if you can kick off four billion processes at the same time Mm -hmm. as opposed to a million Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um speed is not that important Mm. like if yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, the, it's the amount of It's the volume of things that you're doing simultaneously. Yeah. Simultaneous calculations. Parallelism, I think is yeah. one of the words that used. Because they can't find it um silicon is what we use at the moment mm. to um that's the main component that they the the signal the little little electric charge that mm-hmm. opens and closes the gate mm-hmm. that heats up. Mm-hmm. And when it gets to a certain heat, it snaps mm-hmm. um, because we have to make them so fine. Mm. We've, got to, we've got to get as many as we can on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a whole lot of scientists out mm. there looking for alternatives to silicon. Yeah, including growing them mm. like mm. cellular, like mm. live. Mm. Um, and I, I remember seeing one documentary about a scientist that was found out to be making the whole thing up he, he he found an organic thing and um he ended up all, in all the journals and everyone was celebrated but this one guy said that doesn't sound right <laughs> and i'm not seeing any of his supporting <laughs> shit and we're celebrating this guy as yeah, this because yeah. he's he's sort of he opened the door to this future where we we can process faster mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. um because at the moment that heat is the problem mm. like you you you're you've got to send the electricity down something mm. so it has to be conductible um, and it has to be so small that you can have a lot of them but you get if it gets to a certain temperature it snaps yeah yeah and um, yeah as it turned out he was, was full of shit <laughs> <laughs> I think he was a Russian guy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's there's this bell curve. They're all trying to invent this thing so that when the be- they they're looking for a bell curve when they put it through a series of tests, mm-hmm. they get this. They're looking for this magic bell curve, mm. and he was the guy that found this bell uh, curve. Okay. That instead of it going snap like uh-huh. this, it went up and stayed steady. Okay, um, but it turned out to be all bullshit. There's other problems as well. For example, you know how they etch. We were discussing how they etch the chip. I think they have to go to higher and higher and higher frequencies of light to do that etching. Yeah. Um, and eventually they hit x-rays, yeah. which means they, they then just go straight, straight through, through and they don't etch anymore. Yeah. So there's these these type of problems. Yep. All right. So um, 
there we have it now um, so we've got classical computers and then we've got quantum computers and how are they different yep so this is what I'm going to try to discuss next mm-hmm. so we have to understand a little bit about the quantum world and it's I find it pretty fascinating what goes on in the in the uh, the quantum world so um, yeah, so I wanted to just talk a little bit about that. And ultimately what we're going to build up to is qubits. Right. Have you heard of qubits? No. Okay, so a classical bit is what we're talking about, is that, that little switch mm-hmm. inside, and it can be a one or it can be a zero. Yeah. Inside a quantum computer, it uses qubits, mm. which are quantum bits. And the thing about quantum bits is that they're one and zero at the same time. Really? They're two things at the same time. And this is why they get their exponential ability. So if you just have, you know, you know, one sort of, sort of, if I can explain it this way, one times one times one times one, mm. or one plus one plus one, you have all these sort of sequential bits lined up. You can do calculations and stuff, but you're limited. But if you're <coughs> using the qubits and you have... Um, like a, a load of them, like eight bits, you get a you get exponentially more. It can hold exponentially more information. Mm-hmm. So if you only have two bits, oh, if you have four bits, I'm not explaining this too well. Um, they can either be one zero one zero one zero one zero, mm-hmm. and that sort of limits the amount that you can have, the the amount of possible results stored in those switches. But because the qubits are one and one and one and zero one and zero one in and zero it becomes exponentially larger mm-hmm. so if you have an array of say just 512 by 512 and and each of them multiply together and they multiply and they raise to the power of two or something like that you then just have a chip that can store a staggering amount of information because it can do this parallelism yeah. where the chip itself because it's an array mm. Not it's, it's not just all of the the bits in it mm. are in all of the different possible combinations yeah. that there are. Yeah, it's right? exponential. It's exponential. Yeah. So if you imagine, I don't know, if you could imagine a, a combination on a safe, you know, you could go yeah. three, four, yeah. seven, nine on the spin dial, mm. but a quantum one would be all of the combinations simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and this is kind of how the power of these quantum quantum computers comes about. All right, so we've got some stuff up here on the on the on the screen about um, about these qubits. So what I wanted to do is just kind of just discuss just these things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I've been watching Richard Feynman. Are you f- familiar with Richard Feynman? I've heard the name. What's he f- most famous for? Most famous for well, most famous for lots of things. Actually, most one of them is um, working on the Manhattan Project. Oh yes, yes, we spoke about that. No. No, no, no. That was that was something different. That was the the ship. What was it called? The was it? What was the Manhattan Project? The Manhattan Project is where they're inventing the nuclear bomb ah, at the end of yes. the Second World War. Yes. So he's one of the physicists that w- that are working on that. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I want to have a chat about him later on as well because he was, was he um, was he grabbed from? Was he a German scientist? Uh, no, he wasn't. He's okay. an American guy, cool. but he was a student at the time, pretty much, and. So anyway, he was grabbed. And then um, something that's important is that he's an important um, sort of connection in the, all this because when working on the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. he has to do all these mega calculations to work out the yields and the explosiveness and the all of these factors that they had to, to, to make the bomb work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Richard Feynman. Um, 
And so um, he has to kind of invent all of these t- t- computers that he has to do all this stuff mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And there's a really good talk about his days on the Manhattan Project and how he's solving these impossibly huge, huge, you know, data sets and sums and stuff. And all he's got are these kind of hand-cranked machines and people looking up tables yeah. in books. It's the end of the Second World War. Yeah. Anyway, ultimately, he's um, he has some, has some ideas about... Um, quantum computers but he does a really good talk about the quantum world Mm -hmm. and how freaky it is and i'm going to steal one of his stories okay one of his stories the other thing about him is he's really interesting guy um really good educator Mm -hmm. um a really good explainer of things and i'll steal one of his stories to show you that um and used to play bongo bongo drums at at strip clubs oh really yeah yeah he's 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 freaking cool like at the manhattan project (laughs) right there's another one of his stories they've got oppenheimer and niels bohr and all of the top guys and um they're building the the bomb and there's security everywhere (laughs) and as a kind of a challenge and a a challenge, personal challenge to himself, and also a way to kind of stick it to the man, and also a way to test the security. All three of these things at once, he starts breaking into the safes and the the locked drawers and things of his fellow scientists, just because he's a he's a bit of a genius, yeah, yeah, and, he, yeah. and he reckons there must be some way that I can break into there, you know. He, he gets into safe cracking. Crack their codes. Yeah, because that's what he spends all his life doing. Cracking. So as a hobby, he breaks into safes, and yep. he could get into the safes of the other scientists. Anyway, fascinating guy. All right, so here's his story. His story is about the Mayans. Mm-hmm. So we have to sort of understand this story to understand uh, qu- the quantum world a little bit. So the story is about the Mayans, and the Mayans um, look out their window and they look up into the sky, and they see that some of the stars, but not all of them, are, are cruising around in the sky. Mm-hmm. Now, we know what they're seeing is Venus and Mars and and all of those guys. To them, it's just stars moving around. And so what the the astronomers of their day do is they look out their window and they scratch a little line on 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 the windowsill where Venus is in the sky, and then they start counting. Okay, and they have a bunch of pots in their observatory on their Mayan temple, Mm -hmm. a bunch of pots, and every night they observe Venus, and if they see Venus at this point, they put, like, a pebble in a pot. And they say, do it this for Mars, and they do this for thing, and then they've got some dude who goes and counts all of the things, and then writes them up in a big table. And after doing this for 200-odd years, they have a fantastic way to predict mm. where Mars is going to be in the sky. They've got a data set. They've got a data set. Because they... They did data entry. They did data entry, and they got a data set. Okay, and it works. Yeah, and it's but you've heard of the Mayan calendar, right? And with that data set, they can project. Exactly, you've heard of the Mayan yes, calendar yeah, that people yeah. were like, yeah. "Oh, 2012. Yeah, yeah, those guys got it going on. You yeah. know, they knew the world was going to blow up in twenty twelve. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. it's really just the they cap- just ran out of pebbles. <laughs> yeah, that's when they ran out of pebbles. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so um, so we got those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. They can predict the Mars perfectly. They can predict Saturn and Venus. They know when it's going to come up, when it's going to go down. But they don't have a fucking clue what Mars is. Yes. Right? Yeah. And this is this is Feynman's point. And, and in one of his lectures, he says, if you come up to one of those guys and you said to them, you know what? I reckon that that dot up there is a big ball of dirt. And it's like here, but it's over there, and it's a long, 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 long way away, and it's whizzing around the sun, right? And those guys would say, well, 
So what? Can you predict when it's going to come back next Tuesday? Yeah. You know, and you'll say, no, I, I kind of don't think I can. And then they'll say, well, mm. you know, your answer is useless. That's yeah. not going to help us at all. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so they could predict, but they couldn't explain. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are with quantum mechanics. Cool. Right? Um, and Richard Feynman's quote, I think, is, anyone who says they understand quantum mechanics doesn't. Yes. <laughs> I like that. That applies to so many things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some other interesting things, just to kind of get the, get the ball rolling, is that, um, as explained by some other people, the, the quantum world is weird. Oh, we think it's weird. And it's only because we've never had experience with it. Yeah. We have experience with shopping and cars, but we don't have experience with subatomic particles, no. the, the things that make up. So when they, we see them behave, we think, well, that's weird and freaky and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, they're just doing what they normally do. And, um, and you know, we, it's us that has to adjust. Okay. Now take one step forward. And we're going to go to Newton. So... Isaac Newton, now, here's a, there's, there's another cool piece of trivia. Isaac Newton's first, and I understand, his first qualification is a Bachelor of Arts. This is important now for us because we're artists mm-hmm. and uh, there's sort of funding cuts going on for art and stuff. And it's a good reminder that Isaac Newton's first qualification is that he was an artist, meaning that he's a creative person and he can paint trees and stuff. Yeah. But then when he looks up into the sky... He does creative things and comes up with creative ideas because he's a creative artist type person. Mm-hmm. And he comes up with gravity, right? So he invents gravity. He doesn't invent the fact that things fall to the ground. Everybody knew that. Mm-hmm. But he tries to explain it. So he's gonna try and do he's gonna try and do a similar thing to what the Mayans were doing. You know, he gets all of this maths, but he's gonna try and go one step further and try to explain what's going on. Um and what the theory of gravity essentially says is that things that fall to the earth are the same reason that things fall to the earth is the same reason that the moon goes around the earth mm-hmm. and the moon, the sun, the planet goes around the sun, earth goes around the sun. And this freaked a lot of people out in his day because they would say something like, well, how? That's pretty freaking weird. Mm. Are you telling me that... The planet Earth can somehow make the moon go round. Mm. How does the moon know what to do? And, you know, and um, and old Newton would be saying, well, I've got all these numbers here and all <laughs> these beans in pots, and it explains that this is what's happening. They just shut up. You know, and people are like, yeah. Because if you had the explanation that it was a bunch of flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz yeah. that were pushing the moon, yeah. people might understand that a little bit better. But yeah. just to say... Like, if you t- took a, an object and you let go of it and dropped it, mm. you know, how does it know to go down yeah. instead of up? Mm. Um, there must be some weird voodoo and control going on there. That's right. Yeah. And, and so people were freaked out about it. And this is called um, action at a distance. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and there was always this bit of a confusion with people. It's like, you know, really? Because in this world right now, if we want to move anything, we have to touch it. Yeah. You have to push it or whatever. And it's like, really? The, the moon just goes around the earth because it knows what to do? Mm. It's like, come on. That's, right. that's crap. All right. So it's spooky action at a distance. Next, we move forward to Einstein. Mm-hmm. Einstein's the guy who advances the, the, our trek down the Mayan thing. And he invents, you know, 
his explanation of how gravity works, and this is, this is relativity, right? And what Einstein says is that there's a field mm-hmm. that pervades everything in space-time. And it's a stuff. It's a thing. And the Earth squishes it. And that causes the moon to be influenced because it's sitting in the space-time as well. And when the Earth squishes it, the moon gets, gets pulled towards it. And that's what explains, sort of explains gravity, mm. right? Via, via an equation. Via an equation, yeah. More beans in pots, mm. right? All right. So he explains that. Mm-hmm. So we're getting there. We're getting there. We're just about to arrive at quantum mechanics. So at about the same time, quantum mechanics is invented and and Einstein's involved in that Mm -hmm. Um, but Einstein for all his genius is still stuck in the classic mindset alright so he's still kind of in that mechanical mindset that comes from Newton Mm -hmm. and that is the deterministic master so that things happen for reasons and you know when you push something you know Every force has an equal and opposite, you know, and it's yeah. all logical and it all kind of works. Okay, yeah. so he's kind of in that mindset, even though he's invented all this freaky stuff, equals MC squared and stuff. So there's another guy, Niels Bohr. And Niels Bohr basically comes up with a bunch of quantum mechanics stuff and says that, you know what? This is how I summarize a lot of stuff. You know what? I think that quantum particles, and I'm really bastardizing the explanation here, I reckon they just do stuff for no reason at all. For no freaking reason at all. There is no reason why a particle... Let's imagine that a particle has two properties. It can either have, um, let's say, its heads or its tails. Mm -hmm. Or it could be up or down or rough or smooth. It's called heads and tails. A particle could be heads or a particle could be tails. And there's no damn reason why it is this one over that one. It's random. Mm -hmm. It's completely random and there's no reason. There's no cause. It's not that way for any... There's nothing that made it that way. It's just, it will be one or the other, because that's what these quantum particles do. Yep. And this is where Einstein steps in and says, oh, come on, it's a load of bullshit, it's making crap up. And this is where his famous famous saying comes in, that God does not play dice. Mm-hmm. Okay, meaning that there's no random shit, there's reasons, you know, if you push a thing it bounces a thing you know it's not like these things just bounce for themselves they just suddenly mm. bounce for no reason it's that's, that's crazy that doesn't happen and so Niels Bohr in response to God does not play dice responds with the the quip that Einstein should stop telling God what to do <laughs> <laughs> I love it <laughs> alright so we're getting there we're mm-hmm. getting there so the next thing that happens is that Einstein goes back to wherever he, wherever he hangs out and he sort of mutters to himself this. Because what he's seeing, you know, what what Niels Bohr is saying is that these things happen for, for no reason all, at all. And what Einstein is seeing is spooky action at a distance. Yeah. It's the same problem that, that Newton was facing, where he said the planets go around the thing and they just do. And, you know, people are saying... Oh, Come on, you know, and so he's he's in the same boat. He's saying here everything we call real is made of things that cannot cannot be regarded as real. If quantum mechanics hasn't profoundly shocked you, you haven't understood it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and that's a, that's another important statement about the reality mm. of reality. How you know, and he's he's saying this radical, freaky thing that just freaks people out and says that yeah, these things they're not real. 
It's like the fundamental mm. thing that underpins everything is not real. Mm. It's like, come on, what? And then we start to talk about definition here, don't we? Like, you have to define real, don't you? Yeah. So, so what is it? That Well, that's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, perhaps if you're thinking of, on a meta level is that these particles, as I was saying, they have these random properties and that might be what you consider real. Yeah. The fact that... All right. So Einstein goes away and broods a little bit and he gets together with some of his mates down the pub mm-hmm. and they decide to write a scientific paper. And the scientific paper is designed to stick it to Neil's ball. <laughs> All right? Yeah. And so he writes this paper and it basically says, well, Mr. Neil's smarty pants bore, if what you say is real, then I'm going to give you a absurdity. If a bunch of stuff happens, a bunch of other stuff happens, then something else will happen and it'll be completely freaky and it'll be weird and strange. And that's impossible because that's just too stupid to be real therefore you're wrong and i'm right screw you okay so this is a scientific paper and what he's talking about is quantum entanglement all right and it's actually einstein that comes up with the idea of quantum entanglement have you any awareness of what that is okay so einstein comes up with the idea but he's doing it to stick it to niels bohr and he's going to say you know well this is impossible right (laughs) you idiot All right. And then, of course, in 1956, some dudes decide they're going to build a quantum entanglement machine. And it fucking happens. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right. So what the quantum entanglement is, is um, I'll try and explain this super, super um, clearly. Is imagine you had a laser beam, a freaking laser beam, Mm. and it has 10 laser power and you shoot it at a whatever. A piece of matter and what happens is two little light photons come out mm. and each of them has five power and five power because you've shot a ten power you can put one in a bottle and put one in this other bottle and then you can take them away and spread them apart but these th- these things are now quantum they're entangled mm-hmm. because they're kind of born from the same so they're entangled and what you can do is you can open your jar and we're going to look at the heads or tailsness of them and you have a look at yours and it's like tails mm. and you go oh, okay and then you say, you write that down on a piece of paper. Meanwhile, there's somebody in another part of the world doing the same thing. You get your next jar that comes out of the machine. You look, and it's tails. Next one, tails. Next one, heads. Next one, tails. Next one, heads. Next one, tails. And you do that 10,000 times. And you realise that it's exactly 50-50. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to predict whether it's going to be a head yep. or a tail. You don't know. But you can predict that it'll be exactly 50-50. And it turns out, after you've done 10,000 of them and you add up all the probabilities, there's exactly 50-50. Yeah. Then what you go and do is your compadre over in the other side of the country has been doing the same experiment. He's got the same results. It is exactly 50-50, except it's all the opposites. Mm -hmm. So when you check it, open it up and have a look and it's a tail. It's a head over there. It's a head over there. So, now there's two, there's the the Borean interpretation, Niels Bohr, is that it's random. Mm -hmm. It's completely random. But somehow they're always the opposite. Mm. But it's random whether it'll be this one up, one yeah, down, yeah. or one down, one up. Yeah. And you can't know. And you can't know. Yeah. Now, Einstein says that, no, 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 there's something inside these particles that when they come apart, mm. that there's this hidden thing inside them that will decide. Mm. 
Um, for example, one way it might happen is, and this is a fairly stupid way to explain it, but it, it sort of highlights the, the issue. Imagine that the one particle has a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it flies apart with its buddy and it says, all right, they're about to look. You know, we have to be either one or the other. I'll go heads, you go tails. What do you reckon? Yeah, said, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And then they, they work out their deal and then they do it. Mm-hmm. Like potentially they, they were never really separate. They're still potentially. What you're saying is there, there's still a connection potentially. This is what we're trying to understand, right? Okay. But there's a problem and this is the problem that Einstein points out and this is where he's sticking it to Niels Bohr and he says that if you instantaneously check here and here, mm. there's not enough time for any information to get between the two because as fast as it can go is the speed of light. Yeah. And and so it can never communicate fast enough. Mm-hmm. So Niels, and so Einstein, Mr. E equals MC squared, Mr. Speed of Light says, see, it's impossible. Um, and he turns around and says, who says that speed of light is the... Is the cap? Yeah, yeah. You do have the right picture. You know, stop telling God what to do. Is what what Bohr is saying. Yeah. So we have the two interpretations. Is it like Niels Bohr says that it's always random, but just somehow by some fucking reason, mm. they always do the opposite. Yeah. But it's random. Yeah. Um, or is it what Einstein says? Is there's some there's something that perhaps when they get created, they get created in a special way. That mm. all right. So. And we're now getting close to the end. A guy called Bell comes up with, surprisingly, Bell's inequality. Mm-hmm. And Bell's inequality is a logical kind of a mathematical... Yeah, type it in. Bell's inequality. Inequality. Bell's inequality. Comes up with this um, mathematical way of predicting whether the particles are truly random or whether they've got a hidden variable inside. Whether they've got a secret code where they're talking to each other. And I won't try to explain this because it's complicated and it's impossible to explain verbally. You have to sort of see images to explain it. But that means that when you can, when you do the yeah Bell's theorem, um, when you do the experiment with the quantum mechanics, you can then detect whether it's going to be random or whether it's. And so another guy, yeah. So this is this is John Stuart Bell. So, no physical theory of hidden local hidden variables can ever reproduce all of the predictions of quantum mechanics. Um, so, if his theorem is violated, the Bell's inequality, mm-hmm. then it means that there are no hidden variables. If there are hidden variables, you'll when you work out the probabilities, you'll get a particular bump. Mm-hmm. But if they're not, it'll be a flat curve. And they go and do the experiment, and they do it a hundred times. They do it all over the world, and there's no bump. So, mm-hmm. what that means is that there's something weird going on. That somehow these particles can—they're entangled together, and you can take one across the other side of the universe, but they're still connected together instantaneously. Yep. And it doesn't make a lick of sense, <laughs> right? And we're back to where we were with the Mayan bean-counting yeah, yeah. dudes, yeah. is we can predict mm. it's either going to be this or that, and these will be the opposite. Yeah. That's but the we, rule. we have no idea what it is. And we have no idea why yeah. that happens. Okay, so we're almost there. What the, the kind of answer is, is what's called superposition. And a superposition is a new word to invent a new state that nobody's familiar with here. Mm-hmm. You don't have a cup that's in a superposition. It's in a position, yep. right? The mouse here is in a position. Yep. The superposition means that it's 
not in any position, and it's also in all of those positions. Yep. And that's that's what the superposition is. So when you take two of these particles and you split them apart, like what we just discussed, they're in the superposition. Mm. That means that they're they're nothing. They're not either of anything until you look, mm-hmm. and then something has to happen, and it will be either up or down, and the other one will be the opposite. Yep. Another way to think about this superposition is we've got an election coming up in the U.S. It's like, who is the president right at the moment? Is it is it Clinton or is it Trump? Mm. And it's like, none of them are president at the moment. We're in a superposition. Yep. All right? And only at some magical time will the will the, the, the random thing happen on a particular day and then it'll be one or the other. Mm. Okay, so this is, this is basically what um, quantum computers are working off is this superposition. And so that's why, um, that's how qubits are made. They're superposition particles that don't have, they don't even kind of exist at all. <laughs> this is super weird, right? Mm. And they're in both states. And that's why you can have a chip that's in all possible states. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of power, that, that, that gives you the power in your computing, right? Yep. So I'll, go, I'll give you a, a last analogy and then I'm pretty much done. Um, so imagine if, and this is kind of my best analogy of how the computing works. Imagine if you had a hill and it had rocks all over it mm-hmm. and you're a landscaper and you had to build a, um, you had to build a path from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. And you have to take the shortest possible distance because you don't want to do much work. And the people who walk up and down the hill, you want to have the easiest time going up and down the hill. So what you could do in the classical world is you get out your tape measure and you measure the first rock, you measure the second rock. You compare the two rocks and find which is the biggest rock. And then you say, you check that that this one's the smaller rock, so I'll remember that. that. Then you measure the third rock and the fourth rock, measure all the rocks, then you start comparing the rocks. And this takes for friggin' ever Mm. because you have to go up and down and up and down and back and forth. How to solve the problem in the quantum world is you just wait till it rains. And then this river forms. Mm -hmm. And somehow, magically, the river knows the best way to get down. Mm -hmm. It just knows. And it doesn't have to measure anything. It doesn't have to... It just goes down the most probable... Mm. So, as we're talking about probability... Is this chaos? Is that chaos theory? We're 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 sort of touching on chaos theory, but this this is why some of the quantum world is described the way it is. So, the, the, the river takes the most... Of least resistance. At least that's one way to explain it. Or you could say that it's the most probable way yeah. it should go down. Yeah. Right? When all the factors are present and calculatable. And you could solve the puzzle of how to get to the bottom of the hill and build a path yep. as a landscaper instantly after it rains. Yeah. And so that- you, can't get, you can't build a path to the top until, you, until the path... The easiest way to build a path to the top is to wait for it to build itself to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't have to work it out. Mm. You just wait for the water because the water somehow knows how Mm. to do it. Yeah, (laughs) I like it. All right. And so that's kind of how 
computer uh, quantum computing works and that's why Google wanted yeah because what they'll do is they'll set up a landscape on the chip yep. that represents a gigantic water uh, water a data set yep. and like the water going down the hill mm-hmm. the qubits will form themselves into the most logical most probable yep. way yep. and then you suddenly read that off yep. and that's the answer and then you, have, you have the pattern you yeah. can read the pattern off yeah that. so that's the, that what'll be left is all of the names that start with b mm-hmm. in the data set mm-hmm. and that yeah. and how it got to that is most likely to be the most efficient way yes and so this is what quantum this is the final answer to the question what quantum computers will be good for is large data sets mm-hmm. pathfinding mm-hmm. right yeah um designing things when you've got a trillion billion different options and you're trying to find the best one for yep. some circumstance um, so it's not about well it's sometimes a, sometimes the answer you're looking for can only be reached when after you've processed a million other things to get there yeah this system the way you've described it is the most efficient way to get to that answer fast yes yeah and that's why it's like putting 16 people in the car instead of just having four people in the car it's this sort of parallel yeah where you're doing all of this simultaneously and then the yeah. the, the primary you've set it up so that the all the bees will be at the bottom and you just sort of shake the quantum computer and all of the bees turn up on the bottom and then that's your answer is it does it replicate like if you if you try to track the the flow of water mm-hmm. does it not find a different path the second time through yeah yeah so the quantum computer won't find the answer instantly it'll find a a pretty good answer and so calculations that might take a million years it still takes the quantum computer a a while Mm. and it has to give you lots of different options and then you sort of go yeah 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 oh this one's probably the best one or you use some other filtering mechanism to find to refine that small set down to the final yeah or you pump it back through the, the machine and keep keep Iterating on it, so Google would be able to almost patent those patterns. I, I imagine so, and I'm, own them. I imagine that 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 would be the programming of the. That's the program. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, and, and this is the stuff we know of. We we don't know what's going on in China at the moment, and they're, they're apparently working on some pretty speedy computers. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. They're, um, it's not likely that their their quantum computers look like the TARDIS. <laughs> um, but, man, the, the rat hole that you go down to try to make sense of the universe mm. is, pretty, is pretty incredible, mm. isn't it? Mm. Um, and it's, it's not to be under understated the breadth of understanding that you require to make sense of it well like that those guys are saying if you understand this quantum mechanics stuff you don't yeah <laughs> but but at the same time there's, there's a bit of tongue-in-cheek there because, oh, yeah yeah um because even to understand that statement you've got to you've got to understand it you mm. know to a certain degree you you the more you try to understand it the closer you get to not understanding it which is ultimately the goal 
because it, you can't really understand it. No, you can't really understand it because it's so amazingly abstract from anything you're familiar with. Yeah. There's no milk bottles, there's no TV shows, yeah. there's nothing you can compare it to. That's why we're, we're scratching around and saying, yeah. well, the quantum world's kind of like a TV show with a milk bottle on top, yeah. but it's nothing like a TV show with a milk bottle on top. You have to use these pathetic analogies to try and explain. For the another first guy, time... The guy I was watching was explaining it as like a smoke dragon. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he was saying that these particles, before they've there a decision has been made about what they are he just describes them as this smoke dragon which is the way he imagines them is is that they're these non-entities that are yeah and like you saw Niels Bohr describe it as things that that aren't real well for the first time in my life science has been explained to me in a way that makes me understand how people can believe what they believe in the opposite direction of science. What do you mean, like magic and stuff? Religion and and dinosaurs walking around with <laughs> us ten thousand years ago. And th- do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you part of you part of the, the theories that you just went through was that at some point one guy said, "It's not real." Yeah, yeah. It's fake. Yeah. It's a smoke dragon. Yeah, yeah. And but we're supposed to, we've we've. Common sense will tell us that we have to put our weight in that person because mm. they're they're proving that scientifically through mathematics, through equations, through um, through trying to disprove it. Mm. Yeah, right? yeah, which is good science, yeah. right? Um, but it's not much of a leap, is it? Mm. When you think about some of the stuff that religion talks about, just to make sense of, it certainly starts to the stuff starts to get get pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Um, Another interesting thing that... Because um, the moon, like, the moon moves. Yeah. Right? The scientific ex- explanation for that can sound, if explained accurately, mm. can sound as mad as the, the religious version. Well, let me give you two two um, other things. One is the many worlds interpretation, the many worlds hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And that is that... Every time, you know, these atoms are in superpositions, mm. and when they make a choice, because they're in all possible positions, yep. you know, there's a, there's a kind of a theory that, a kind of a hypothesis, not a theory, that all of the possible worlds exist simultaneously. So there's another world where both of you, except I've got yeah. blonde hair and you've got yeah. brown hair, right? Multi-dimensional. And that sounds like, that sounds like, are you, are you crazy? That's insane. That mm-hmm. can't happen. But, like, you have to say, you know, the Niels Bohr thing. Don't tell God what to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe maybe that could happen. Yeah. Maybe that is the, the thing. The um, the other interesting one that I wanted to just sort of perhaps finish with was mm-hmm. another one from Richard Feynman who pointed out um, another interesting thing. What if you've got two scientific explanations for things that both work? They both match up with the math yep. and they both explain the data. Mm-hmm. You can do that. You can do that. Yeah. But what his point is that then science is in a bit of a quandary mm. because how are you going to choose one over the other? Yeah. So let's say we have monkeys, invisible monkeys pushing the moon around mm. and that you've got all of the facts and the figures and you've got all of the, the math and it all works out, yep. invisible monkeys. And then you've got the gravity saying, no, 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 it's just this force of gravity. And it's actually that the world is made of kind of this power soup that sort of dips in the middle. Mm. And you've got power soup with a dip in the middle versus monkeys pushing it around. And both of them work. Both of them predict where it's going to be. 
And then, you know, Feynman's explanation, Feynman says they're equivalent. Mm. Even though the monkeys sound strange, it's just a, it's a good explanation for yeah. what's actually happening. Yeah. And but you can't really distinguish the two as to choose one over the other if they both do the same work and they both do the same yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they only exist as theory. Like if you're not physically looking at monkeys doing it, right? As opposed to the other th- But but Feynman's point is that, that that that's already taken care of. How do you mean? Because the, the, the theory says that you can't see the monkeys. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the theory. Yeah, convenient. Convenient, true. Yeah. But you can't see the space warping space time either. Mm. Well, yeah, can you? I thought they they were able to. They proved the warp in space time recently, didn't they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gravity waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure our monkeyologists will be able to say. Yeah, well, yeah. yes, that's just the monkeys farting, of course. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> but 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 the, that would swing it back the other way, wouldn't it? But either way, um, it's. It's not uncommon to have uh, multiple theories that, that perfectly explain the same thing in the absence of observable um, data. Richard Feynman's point is that a good physicist or, or whatever keeps all of these crazy theories in his head yeah. because they may not they may may be explanatorily equal, mm-hmm. but they're not inspirationally equal. Right, so if you think about the the space monkeys, that might give you another idea to come up with something else. Whereas the the gravity soup idea is just boring to you and it doesn't inspire you in any way. So that's what his point is that that's why you keep all of the crazy theories in your head because even though they explain everything equally, what the difference is one might inspire you to to ask a new question yeah. Yeah. that develops something else. Yeah. Awesome, man. I now sort of understand quantum computing, mm. but I also sort of understand a whole bunch of other stuff that I hadn't contemplated before as well. <laughs> and the fact that they're all sort of tied together and interlinked and one sort of leads you over here to that which leads you back here. But out of it all, the thing I loved the most was the um, was Einstein. Um, basically coming up with the theory to go, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. sort of, <laughs> yeah. spoilt little shit turd. Um, and he's such a genius that yeah, he yeah. unconsciously comes up with something. Yeah, yeah. It's freaking yeah. amazing, isn't it? And geniuses can be <laughs> smart asses, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and you never know, they might, not have, they might not have gone on with one another. You know, he might have made it his personal thing to um, stick it in his... Uh, Back in his face or something. I hyped the uh, the uh, antagonism. I think they were pretty good mates. But yeah. anyway, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for another show. Um, uh, what about a call to action? No, I've got something different. I've got a um, a cool quip, a witty quip to mm-hmm. end on. Yes. So we've just been talking about learning, and we've been talking about exploration. Okay. So my witty quip is: If you know it, don't do it. Is it a? Is that a uh, a boggle? Is it? A, are you issuing a? No, it's a simple thing, just about exploring and learning. If you already know it, don't do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's yeah. it for us. Until next week. Yep. Bye for now. See ya. <laughs>